Turn in your Bibles, please, to Luke chapter 18, and we shall read the passage, verses 9 through 14. Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. Please follow along in your Bibles as I begin reading at verse 9 of Luke 18. And he spoke also this parable unto certain who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and set all others at naught. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed with himself, God, I thank you that I am not as the rest of men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I say unto you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for every one that exalts himself shall be humbled, but he that humbles himself shall be exalted. And there we end our reading this portion of God's word. Notice from this passage that the general hearers very clearly was a number of people. In the context, it's clear the Lord was speaking many parables to many people, including genuine disciples, religious people, men, women, children, and rulers. It's very likely that all of these people would have heard the parable recorded in these verses, which we've just read. But I would like you to notice, first of all, the specific hearers intended in this parable that Jesus spoke. We're told in verse 9 that Jesus spoke this parable to those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. Now stop and think about that. This is, on the one hand, not a surprising statement, namely that there were in Jesus' day, as there are in our day, people who trust in themselves that they are righteous. I'm sure you have met such people in your life. They believe that they're basically good. They have not done anything horribly bad. In fact, they have done many things in their eyes that are very good and nice, and therefore they regard themselves as righteous. But on the other hand, such an assessment by many individuals that they are actually righteous is truly shocking. Common observation of people in this world reveals a very different reality, namely, that people are clearly not righteous. 
All you need to do is listen to their conversations. And you as a Christian can tell these people are definitely not righteous. Listen to their speech. All you need to do is watch the way various individuals react to the irritating annoyances of this life, the problems, the troubles, the injustices in this life. Watch how they react and you see very clearly they are not righteous. But in addition, and most importantly of all, is the truth that God's word, the Bible, clearly reveals that there is none righteous, no, not one. The Bible makes it very clear that every single human being, from the youngest to the oldest, from the most educated to the least educated, from the most religious to the least religious, no matter what their situation may be, no matter what their background may be, all are sinners, all are unrighteous, because they daily and frequently transgress the very commandments of the living God. In fact, notice in your Bibles the conversation between the Lord Jesus and a certain ruler in verses 18 and 19 of this same chapter. We didn't read those verses, but notice them in your Bibles. And a certain ruler asked him, Jesus, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why do you call me good? None is good except one, even God. You see there, on the heels of this parable being told by the Lord Jesus, a ruler comes to him and is deceived thinking that he actually can do something to enter into heaven. But the Lord declared to this ruler the plain and obvious truth of the depravity of man. There is none good, no, not one. Only God is truly good. But notwithstanding these plain realities of sin and depravity, such self-righteous individuals sincerely believe that when they die, they will enter into heaven because of their many good deeds as they view it, their many religious works as they view it. They all surely outweigh any occasional bad behavior which they have done because they're really not too bad anyway. But notice also that the Lord Jesus stated that these self-righteous individuals in the world, ironically, have a very different view of everyone else. They set all others at naught, verse 9. That's what this Pharisee did. Isn't it amazing that the self-righteous see no faults in themselves, but they have no problem seeing the faults in everyone else? They look at others as those who are not good like themselves. Other people are beneath them. In fact, all others are regarded as nothing. It was because of these sad realities, these realities of self-deception, that the Lord Jesus spoke this specific parable of the Pharisee, and the tax collector. 
in order to expose their self-deception to themselves. He knew that these deceived individuals needed to hear the truth about themselves so that they would face the reality of their own sinfulness and then abandon their self-righteousness. And even tonight, God in his sovereign, gracious mercy is doing just that for anyone in this auditorium, whether young or old, who is self-righteous, who thinks you're basically okay and good, and when you die, surely God will receive you. God is sovereignly bringing this passage to you, that you, like that Pharisee in the day of the Lord Jesus, will be not deceived, but will then see the truth about your own sinfulness and abandon your self-righteousness. You see, it was in love that the Lord spoke this parable to this group of people about the Pharisee and the tax collector. He wanted them to be delivered from their eternally dangerous situation by correcting and convicting them so that they would turn away from their error and sin. So that is the specific hearers that were in the mind of the Lord Jesus when he spoke these words, this parable. But now notice in your Bibles, the very obvious reality, the two men of this parable. First of all, a Pharisee. The Pharisees were, most of you know, Jewish religious leaders who correctly believed in Jehovah as the one true and living God. They also believed the scriptures of the Old Testament. They also practiced the various ceremonial rituals of the Old Testament. They worshiped in the temple or in synagogues every Sabbath day. They believed in the existence of spirits and the resurrection from the dead. You see, that's all very good, but that's not what will make you right with God. However, most of the Pharisees were concerned only with the outward appearance of their lives and their outward religious activities. They honored God with their lips, but their hearts were far from God. And the Lord Jesus Christ condemned these Pharisees as hypocrites. He compared their lives to cups and plates and said that they cleaned the outside of their lives the outside of the cup and plate, but they left the inside of the cup and plate dirty. The inside of their lives were left dirty. Their thoughts and their hearts were full of sinful extortion and excess. And so these Pharisees were generally very religious outwardly, but they were only concerned with what men could see. Inwardly in their thoughts, in their hearts, which men cannot see, but God can see, they were full of adultery, murder, covetousness, stealing, lying, and pride. So that's the Pharisee in the parable. But secondly, notice the tax collector. And that's what the word publican means, if your Bible uses that term, a tax collector. The tax collectors in the time of the Lord Jesus were Jews who worked for the Roman Empire. 
And the Roman Empire had conquered Palestine, Israel. They ruled there. And because these Jewish tax collectors worked for the Romans and collected taxes for them, they were regarded as traitors. They were regarded as those who should be despised. They were hated by the majority of the Jews. These tax collectors were selfish and greedy and became rich through the excess taxes they collected from their fellow Jews, and thus they were even further despised by everyone. Unlike the Pharisees, these tax collectors made no pretense of being religious in any way whatsoever. The temple service was not for them. Synagogue worship was not for them. They were not interested they had one thing on their mind. It was called money. So those are the two men that Jesus presents in this parable. But now notice the two prayers in this parable. First of all, the Pharisees' prayer. Notice in verse 11, 11 look there in your Bibles. What does it say there in verse 11? The Pharisee prayed with himself. He was not actually praying to God at all. The Pharisee's prayer was a prayer, if you could call it that, of self-praise and exaltation in which he commended himself as a very good religious man. See that in verse 12. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all I get. Am I not wonderful, you see? And then in his prayer, he condemned others whom he perceived as those who were not religious, like himself, like that tax collector who stood afar off there in the temple. You see, the Pharisee was truly proud of himself, spiritually blind and ignorant of his many sins, and disdainful of his fellow sinner, the tax collector. That was his prayer. Not really a prayer at all. But notice, secondly, the tax collector's prayer. Notice first that the tax collector was standing afar off, the Lord Jesus tells us, not regarding himself as worthy to even enter into the inner sanctuary of the temple in Jerusalem. Notice, secondly, the tax collector would not even lift up his eyes to heaven as he prayed, being so conscious of the reality of his sin in his heart. He was humbled by a knowledge of his own sinfulness before the all-seeing and thrice holy God. Notice thirdly, that he beat his chest, not in a show, not in drama, he beat his chest in grief, truly conscious of his sinfulness. This was not an imagination to him. This was not some fuzzy dream to him. He was truly conscious of the sinfulness of his heart and life. And so he prayed, verse 13, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. There was no self-righteousness in this tax collector. He was not praising himself. 
He was not patting himself on the back. He was not trusting in himself. He was truly, keenly aware of his sin and guilt. He condemned himself as the sinner. In the original language, that's how it is worded. God be merciful to me, not a sinner. God be merciful to me, the sinner. He knew and felt that reality, the truth, inwardly and outwardly, that he was the sinner. You see, the tax collector was not a hypocrite. He was truly and sincerely clothed with humility as he evaluated his heart and life before an all-seeing God and the word of God and the law of God. Have you ever done that in your life? And I'm not just speaking to young people. I'm speaking to old people. Have you ever done that in your life? Where you got all alone with God. No one else in the room. And you consciously rehearse in your mind. I have sinned in this way. I have broken God's law. This specific law here on this very day. I've thought these sinful thoughts. I've had murder in my heart, envy in my heart. I have with my eyes looked upon that which I should not look. I have this wretched sin of pride, thinking way too highly of myself. Have you ever done that as this tax collector? You should, if you have not. And you do not need to wait till tomorrow to do that. But notice now, not only the two prayers in this parable of the two men, but notice from this parable the two outcomes. First of all, the tax collector. The Lord tells us that this sinful tax collector left the temple and went home as a justified sinner. It's not at all what we would ordinarily expect, but that's what we're told by Jesus. This means that he was declared righteous by God, not because of his own works or life, not because of his own supposed good deeds, not because of his religious activities, although it seems he probably had none, but through trusting in the perfect righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. He had nothing to commend himself to God. In fact, he was conscious that everything in his heart and life as a sinner cried out for condemnation from God. But through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ alone, all of his sins were pardoned. He literally prayed, God be propitiated to me, the sinner. In other words, he prayed, Lord, turn your righteous wrath due to me because of all of my sins. Turn your righteous wrath away from me through the sacrifice of another, the Lamb of God. That is what he prayed. 
You see, this is called grace. That is what this sinner received from God. The free and full forgiveness for all of his sins through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But notice the outcome of the Pharisee. He was not justified by God, the Lord Jesus tells us. He was not declared righteous by God because he continued to trust in himself and his supposed good deeds and religious activities. He continued to be a slave to his own sins, especially his sins of pride and self-righteousness. All of his religious activities, all of his prayers, his so-called prayers, could not righteously wash away even one sin. He was proud, self-righteous, a hypocrite, spiritually blind, a lover of himself, and he was lost in his sins. Lost for eternity if he died that way. So by way of review, the hearers of this parable, it was a large multitude, including disciples, including all sorts of people, young and old. The two men of this parable, the Pharisee, the tax collector, their two prayers and the two outcomes, very different outcomes, one from another. So by way of lessons, I would like to ask every individual in this auditorium, have you understood from the Bible, have you understood and grasped the Bible's teachings regarding the reality of God's grace. Perhaps you're here this evening and you may think you're not good enough to be a Christian. You see other people are good enough, but you're not good enough to be a Christian. Perhaps you're here tonight and you think your sins are too horrible or too many to be forgiven. That if the pastors knew what my sins are, they would blush, they would run away, they would be horrified. My sins are too many and my sins are too horrible. Maybe you think that way. Or perhaps you think, I'm not good enough, not good enough to be a member of this church or any Christian church. Or perhaps you look at people in this church and you say, I know that man, I know that woman. I see that person is a genuine Christian, according to the Bible. I can see it. And then you think, I could never be like that genuine Christian. That genuine Christian, I can't measure up. Or perhaps tonight, you realize that you actually are a hypocrite. And you think, if people knew what I really was in secret, they would spit me out with disgust and they would see that I'm such a hypocrite. Well, if you are thinking in any of these ways, you have not 
yet understood the Bible's teaching about salvation in Jesus Christ by the grace of God. Grace is the unearned, unmerited, freely given favor and mercy from Almighty God through and in the Lord Jesus Christ. So who is it that the Lord Jesus Christ saves? In Luke chapter 5, verse 31, you can turn there if you like, we read these words concerning who it is that the Lord saves. Luke 5, verse 31. And Jesus answering said unto them, They that are in health have no need of a physician, but they that are sick. It's the spiritually sick that Jesus saves. Verse 32 of Luke 5. I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You see, it's sinners just like you that Jesus Christ came into the world to save. 1 Timothy 1.15 Faithful is the saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He didn't come into the world to save the righteous. There are no righteous. So if you are a sinner... You qualify for the salvation of Jesus Christ. Who is it that God justifies, declares righteous on the basis of faith in Jesus Christ? Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 4. Who is it that the Lord Jesus Christ saves? Sinners. Who is it that God justifies, declares righteous on the basis of faith in Jesus Christ? Romans 4, verse 4. Now to him that works, the reward is not reckoned as of grace, but as of debt. But to him that works not, but believes on him that justifies the ungodly, his faith is reckoned for righteousness. It is the ungodly. You don't have to first fix up your heart, fix up your life, clean out your, your sinful closet, as it were. Yes, you do need to repent, as we will see. You do need to turn away from your sins, not continue to live in them. But you don't wait until you have cleaned up your life before you come to Jesus Christ. God justifies the ungodly. Romans 5, verse 6, just one chapter later. For while we were yet weak, in due season, Christ died for the ungodly. Jesus Christ died on the cross, not for the righteous, but for ungodly sinners who repent of their sins and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Another question. Can you be forgiven for all of your sins, including hypocrisy, self-righteousness, pride, sexual immorality, unbelief, idolatry, impenitence? The answer is yes. Turn to Mark 3 and verse 28. Mark 3 and verse 28. 
Truly, Jesus spoke, truly, I say unto you, all their sins shall be forgiven unto the sons of men, and their blasphemies with which they shall blaspheme. All their sins shall be forgiven unto the sons of men. That's what the Lord said truly. Turn now to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9. Can you be forgiven for all of your sins? 1 Corinthians 6 verse 9. Paul writing to the Corinthian church. Do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with men, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. What a wonderful passage for all of us for those who already are Christians, who still see much in the way of remaining sin in your heart and life, and you look back and you see what you once were as a non-Christian, what a wonderful passage to think about and meditate upon. And for any and all who are here this night who are not yet genuine Christians according to the Bible, and you are conscious of your own sins to one degree or another. And perhaps there are those here who have been thieves, those who have been fornicators, those who have been revilers, those who have been homosexuals, those who have had abortions, those who are covetous. Whatever your sins may be, you see, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners just like you. You don't need to wait one moment more to cry out to Jesus Christ in heaven, asking for his forgiveness, mercy, and cleansing. You must do that, as I've just said. This is part of what you must do to be forgiven all of your sins. You must do what the Philippian jailer did in Acts 16, when he asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, Believe on the Lord Jesus, and you shall be saved, you and your house. And indeed, that happened to him and his whole household. Or in Acts chapter 3, verse 19, Repent, therefore, and turn again, that your sins may be blotted out, that so there may come seasons of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. Who did Peter speak those words to? To the very people who in large measure murdered the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, any sinner here this night, if you hear these words from the scriptures, repent. That means change the way you're thinking about yourself. Instead of thinking about yourself like the Pharisee in this parable, 
think about yourself like the tax collector in this parable. Change the way you think about yourself and bring your thinking in alignment with the word of God. Repentance means changing also your heart. You can't change any of this without the grace of God, the power of God. But at the same time, the command is to you to repent. And so that means not only changing your mind, it means changing your heart and saying, I do not want to love these sins anymore. I want to hate them. Repentance means changing your will, saying, I want to do what is right in the sight of God according to the word of God. Lord, I cannot do any of this in my own power and strength. I cry out to you through Christ for mercy and power and grace to indeed truly repent and truly believe. That's what's involved. Repent, turn again that your sins may be blotted out, remembered no more in the courtroom of heaven. What a wonderful, absolutely joyous experience it is to know peace with God through Jesus Christ. And to know, as we've heard in recent messages from Pastor Chansky, the reality of a good conscience, a nagging conscience saying, you're guilty, you're guilty, you're rightly guilty, you are wrong, you have sinned, your sins are huge sins, they're repeat sins, they're grievous sins. Instead of having that guilty, accusing conscience, you can know through faith in Jesus Christ that all of your sins are washed away in the blood of Christ. And you can know the joy and the liberty of having a good conscience before God and men. It totally invigorates the life when you have a good conscience, knowing that Jesus Christ, the living Lord, is my Savior. for time and eternity. Come, taste and see that the Lord is good. Come this night, taste and see that the Lord is good. What a wonderful privilege and blessing to know the pardon and forgiveness of all your sins in the blood of Christ a gracious gift from God. May we understand the reality of grace from the word of God. Let's pray. Lord, we draw near to you this night. And thank you for your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that you sent your son into this world to take on flesh and blood, to become the God-man, the only savior of sinners. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for living a perfect, sinless life on this earth. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for being willing to go and indeed going to the cross and receiving the wrath of God due to the sins of your people. 
Thank you for sending the Holy Spirit, Lord God, our Father, Lord Jesus Christ, to your people. Come, our God, we pray. Come and cause sinners this night to apprehend, perhaps for the first time, the reality of your gracious love in Jesus Christ. And Lord, give by your Spirit supernaturally, powerfully, the gifts of repentance and faith, that sinners would truly turn and trust in Christ alone for the forgiveness of their sins. And may all glory go to Jesus Christ alone. In his name we pray. Amen.